Good afternoon and welcome to Auto Retail Live, the profit briefing. Uh, thank you very much for taking time to join us for the next 30 uh, to 40 minutes uh, when we'll be considering the changing landscape of automotive retail. Uh, COVID has accelerated the transformation uh, and has accelerated the shift towards more online engagement. Does that mean online sales? Depends how you define online sales. There have been some major new entrants um, how often have we seen uh, car dealers and car buying on the financial pages uh, of the newspapers and in discussion? So big shifts going on um, in the industry. And I'm delighted today that we have a great panel for the conversation. Simon Dixon, um, a well-known name uh, in the industry, the founder of Rockar, uh, is on the panel with us to take uh, questions and join the conversation. Neil Smith, formerly of Imperial Car Supermarkets, uh, which now obviously has uh, been acquired by Kazoo. Neil will be sharing his experience. And Darren Preddy, who's the sales director for Rapid RTC, specializing in that customer and digital engagement. Uh, you are more than welcome, as have many people so far sent in questions. I think we have a hot topic uh, this afternoon to discuss. Um, please type in your questions. They come through to Tristan, um, our editorial director, who will uh, frame the questions and pass them through to me here, uh, and we will carry on with the conversation. So please do feel free to engage. And we're also following on social media using the hashtag ARNLive. So the majority of sales, of course, are still managed in this country through showrooms. Uh, we still have people walking into showrooms uh, and buying cars. That's the way it has been done, but things are changing. Uh, one of those early changes, the early adopters, a disruptor in the industry is Simon Dixon, um, who for many years has worked on the digital model moving towards online sales. Uh, he created Rockar, uh, one of the first um, online in showroom experiences and also has the technology platform behind it. Simon, welcome to Auto Retail. Can you just give us um, just a quick uh, tour, a uh, guide of what Rockar is in the UK? Because I know it means different things to different people. Yeah, th thank you, Matt. And uh, I'll try and keep it brief because we haven't got 40 minutes. So I could use the whole of that time to talk about Rockar. But um, yeah, basically, Rockar was created, as you said, to, to come in, disrupt the market prove that there was a different model, I guess, um, customers were out there wanting. So we so we built um, two businesses, really. A business, first of all, that's very a technology business based upon building the right platform, the right digital interfaces so that we could support brands, OEMs, um, retailers to, to, to do this transformation. And then the other part of the business was really like our proof of concept. So it's setting up retail businesses purely dedicated to this like, sort of new model. Um, today we have a Jaguar Land Rover business that operates out of London. It is our like R&D model, it is our proof model, but also it's successful in its own, its own right as well. And it gives us some very rich um, and interesting data to help us on the technology side to keep improving the technology we're building, but also to help you know, customers and future customers um, inform what the opportunity comes from from, from retailing in a digital way. And I guess a, um, you know, a very customer-focused experience as well. So that's, that's Rock R2 businesses. Technology is our dominant part of, of our business. And then we have a separate retail business, which is proof of concept. Um, and we'll Brilliant. probably just, just, we might start to grow that retail business and 
the, the focus of our conversation today, obviously, is the majority of, uh, of those who are participating in this are traditional businesses. So you've worked traditional and then moved into this sphere. What's the fundamental difference in the dynamics and the structure of that business? Well, there's a lot, but I think I'll try and encapsulate in a few words. I would say number one is easier because occasionally in this business is highly focused around generating its upper funnel traffic of customers either walking into a store or engaging digitally. And then the whole thing I call it, it's like air traffic control. There's, there's not, we're not relying on a whole bunch of people negotiating with a customer. The margin is set up in the business, the, the, the product is set up. The interactions literally happen as you go to sleep as well. So all the transactions happen. So, so I say ultimately it's easier to run this type of business, um, less complicated. But also, I think the other thing I would say is that everything we do in this business is driven by data, data decisions. And as long as I've been in this, we've got bags of data all around us constantly. But quite often, this fundamental problem is like how you can be able to interpret and read that data. So because, because every customer interacts either in the store or online with us digitally, then we see all those processes, we see all those interactions, and therefore we can make decisions literally minute by minute on the business about how we're shaping our, our journey, how we're shaping our pricing, how we're shaping our product exchange prices, etc. So very easier and decision data data decision making Our next guest. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Thanks th thanks for that to, to get us started. Um Neil, obviously your background, again, deep in automotive, you sold your business um to uh Kazoo, uh, which is the talking point, one of the talking points um, in the industry, of course, is Kazoo um, going to try and will ultimately destroy the business as we know it? Or is it a pathfinder that others will adopt? Uh, it's, it's a pathfinder that others will follow and adopt. Um, I think if you look at some stats now, uh, what car came out in mid April with a survey that stated 9% uh, of the UK car buying public would buy a car fully online using the kazoo method or cinch method that still leaves 91 percent of the uk market who wants some sort of interaction with a dealer over and above the online journey so look, don't get me wrong nine percent ten percent of the uk market is probably leaves well, six hundred and seventy five thousand used cars last year would be ten percent of the, the market so that's still quite a big proportion but it leaves a lot for traditional dealers to still attack in terms of those who are uh, regarded as proactive or reluctant showroom visitors. And that just means there's some that want to do more online than others and some that want to do as little as possible online and still want an element of physical interaction with a showroom or a, or a uh, customer uh, contact center. So it's not going to destroy the, the new entrance, the disruptors is not going to destroy the, the uh, traditional way of used car uh, buying. However, what it will do over time is mean more and more dealers need to migrate to offer consumers various ways to buy cars, be that digitally, online, fully, uh, be that with a mix, a hybrid. Uh, but what it does do is probably give, maybe give a bit, little bit of optimism to some dealers because you know that you know everything everything you see in the press at the moment is around digital transformation. Um, I think the the message is you need to start looking at it as where you go with this as a traditional dealer, you don't have to do it all at once and you have to play to your strengths really. And that is, if you've got a showroom, you need to make sure that everything is seamless. The touch points online match with the touch points in store, 
consumers aren't having to go over things again when they get to store that they've already done online. Just make sure all your systems are seamless, integrated, and there's one version of the truth. So, so let's let's dig into something practical and say, sure, you, you have a, through Kazoo offers um, an online experience, no test drives. So, so customers come along, buy the vehicle without a test drive. Walk us through that experience then, because that again is it's a new thing, and 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 you know it may be you know challenging traditional thinking. Yeah, I think it does. Uh, it obviously challenges traditional thinking, but I think really all you've got to do is look at it from the perspective that the consumer actually instead of having a 45 minute test drive, they're getting seven or 14 days to test drive that vehicle with a no quibble return. So actually as a way to buy a car, if, if someone has confidence in the business to the point they're gonna put 25,000 pound of their hard earned cash into a retailer's bank account and then get the delivery of the vehicle, they have seven to 14 days to test drive that vehicle and then return it and get a full refund if they want. So it's just putting that traditional test drive process right down at the back of the journey now and giving the consumer far more time to consider whether it's the right car. Um, uh, and the <clears throat> return levels, probably anywhere between 5 and 10%, depending on what business you're looking at. Uh, a lot of that will be dictated by how well that business prepares those vehicles because it will not only just be about it's not the right car, it'll be about it's not up to the consumer's expectations. So I think if, if you're going to move into that delivery model and you want to ensure you reduce your returns to the minimum, you're probably going to have to look at how you're preparing your vehicles and make sure they're up to the standard that the likes of Kazoo, Imperial in the old days uh, and Cinch are preparing their vehicles to minimise those returns. And what are you doing with returns? By, I don't mean returns as in rejects, but trade-ins and returns. How do you manage that through the process of, of Kazoo? Um, through Kazoo and, and again, through uh, any of those online players and through what we did at Imperial, um, the traditional way is to put a value out there based on a we buy any car model. It's put, put the VRM in, give some information around the vehicle and get a cap valuation or a glass valuation, push back to the consumer. Now, the consumer can then decide whether to take that or not. Uh, I think in the pure online model at the moment, it's probably an area that needs refining because, especially now with the value of vehicles going up day by day, you need to be right on top of those valuations to ensure you're not missing out on opportunities. Um, but I think there's, again, a part that traditional pay dealers can play there. They can be a little more circumspect about what they offer for a vehicle based on the, the real merits of that vehicle and talking to the customer. And especially now with supply as, as it is, it's certainly a way to increase your stock by offering more for a vehicle you're going to retail as a part from a part exchange. So I think there's benefits there for traditional versus the pure online players, but pure online to get someone through that linear journey, there is really no option for uh, any negotiation on a part exchange value. You take it or leave it. Simon, from a rock car perspective, you, you work um, out of shopping, uh, the shopping mall experience. So it's online, but it's also a, a slightly different model uh, of rather than having the traditional um, dealer. How, how does that work? And particularly in a market right now where used car prices are, are going defying gravity. I think, you know, as, as Neil said, there, it's, it's an interesting time. Probably, probably in the whole time I've been in the industry, I've never known used prices go up. It's quite a quite a quite a dynamic situation we're in. 
literally, literally, this we are, you know, for our own business and for businesses that are using our platform, uh, the ones that are doing it well are literally approaching and we're looking at a part of change valuations every day. We we monitor something called acceptance rates, how many customers will accept the bid or move forward without taking the bid off the part exchange. And again, we like to be in a sweet spot of around about 60%. Some days you're running at that, some days you'll just dive and then go down to 30. So we turn the dial back up again. This really is an interesting period, but if you've got a platform and you've got the data, you can read what's going on in terms of that customer demand, that customer approach. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a unique situation. We're usually doing the opposite, by the way. We're usually making sure that we're following the sweet spots and not overvaluing because the worst thing you can do to a customer experience is like you give them a poor value or you overvalue and then when they're coming in for, 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 for acceptance, you're very critical of the, of the condition and that leads to a bad customer experience. The rock, rock car has never been in that that window. We've always read the data to try and make sure that we have a minimal amount of part exchange corrections when they come in at delivery point. I think also is an interesting point you said earlier about test drive. We have a different view on test drive. Test drive has been declining since since we started using the data back in 2015. The, the requirement for a customer to test drive, a, a real demand is diminishing the diminishing information. The point we saw in lockdown, we were all shut, continued to sell a lot of vehicles with no access to the test drive, either front view or used car. But actually what I believe is the industry is very, very good at enforcing test drive as a part of the sales process. When you listen to customers, customers don't want to test drive. So they're almost being forced to do something in a process that they don't want to do. Um, the data very clearly shows that customers listen to customers. They don't particularly listen to journalists or dealers or, or brands. They listen to other customers and, and as we heard today, there isn't a bad car. If we were if we were forcing customers to take test drives where they would return to us and say, oh, I don't like that drive, then we would be thinking differently about the process. But actually, there isn't a bad car out there today to, to test drive. It's just a, an old traditional way of like trying to force obligation, um, where actually we see the opposite is happening on the data. And it, through that data, that's really interesting. Is there is there any way that you can segment um, that? Is it does it split between new and used? Are people more likely to want to test a used or a new? And or does it do by age or region? What what does the data tell us? So first of all, we're we're like kazoo when it comes to used. So we don't have any used car forecourt. It's all held centrally for Christmas car drivers. So we sell used hundred percent without test drives. So, so that myth can be sort of filled up quite quite. If you pick around the data, the 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 probably the broader sentence you can make is the younger that you are, the less likely you are to test drive or want to test drive. Um, if you're female, the less likely that you are to test drive. It's probably a, a tiny little category of, of people that would like to still test drive, and that's that's men of my age. So enough. 50 plus bracket where we've been used to it for so, for so long and part of what we maybe like to do. But it's a small, and even when I say that, it's not like that's 50% of that age group want to test drive. It's not, it's, but it's the probably early one that you could say we're still in that group of, of wanting some test drive. So, um, yeah, but the data shows that it's crossed not just a few hundred, you know, thousands of customer interactions. Um, and I think this is where the industry probably also needs to wake up because that's also a big cost 
certainly in a new car business, the big cost of you pushing, and pushing and test drives and offering people to out for 24 hours when and actually they probably don't want to do that. They want enriched content and data and information, but they don't need that constant sort of push to test drive. Challenging uh, traditional uh, thinking. Thank, you're watching the Auto Retail Live briefing. Uh, thanks to uh, Simon Dixon from Rockar and Neil Smith um, joining us. We will turn our attention to the customer inquiries and how you manage that really without a showroom. Darren, Darren Preddy, Sales Director, Rapid RTC. This is your business, um, uh, Darren. This is what you do, and, and and you've been managing this for a while. So, what is what is best practice when it comes to managing those customer inquiries when you don't physically have a showroom to, to entertain them? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I also had a uh, online car business back in the early 2000s, which was probably too early for its, its model at the time, but we did very, very well for five or six years. But but for me, it's it's being clear and transparent to your customers in terms of your business model and what you're actually offering. Um, I'm a firm believer in people, product and trust you know you've got the product because the customer's inquiring. It's about the people that actually handle those inquiries and building that trust with the customer and taking them through that process. And I think with online, Simon and Neil hopefully would agree with me there, but it's it's about building trust and making sure the customer understands exactly what's going to happen and, and, and following those steps and making sure that that communication to that customer so they understand exactly what is going to happen throughout the process is really, really vital. Uh, and I agree with Neil and, and Simon in terms of the preparation of the car has to be bang on, um, otherwise it will be coming back. But yeah, prepare the customer, tell them exactly what's happening throughout the process, uh, and they will do it. Does, does this lead to new digital tools? I mean, you know, we're all used to sort of chat in the corner of the screen, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't, and and all those good things. Uh, how, how is how is that in, um, engagement on a practical level evolving? Yeah, it's interesting from a dealer point of view. There, there's Dealers are taking different options. I think that we, we see a lot of dealers that are actually building um, sort of business development centers with actual, you know, proper sales personnel uh, involved with it so they can actually handle those inquiries effectively. Uh, we see others that are using digital specialists that, you know, you best salespeople to handle these inquiries. But I think one thing is we, when a customer starts a, a journey digitally, you, you don't know how they're going to communicate with you. So one thing we always say is, is making sure it's consistent. So whether it be via chat or whether it be via you're sending an email in or actually visiting the showroom, the customer has that consistency because, you know, whoever they're dealing with, they're representing that business. So it's important that you have that consistency across all levels. So if you do that and you've got consistency, you've got the right people answering, then it will be successful. So it's less it's less a focus on the on the, the methodology, the, the, the technology and more on the consistency of the message. Yeah, you've got to have the technology. I think one thing we've learned over the last 12 months, you know, the, the motor industry has changed, you know, it's 10 years worth of digital probably within the last 12 months. So dealers have had to adapt over the over the last two, uh, 12 months to, to survive in a lot of cases. Um, we, we've seen that firsthand. But I think it's it's having the technology in place to handle it, but also the personnel at dealership level to be able to handle it. I think those, those are the two key parts. You're watching the Auto Retail Live briefing. Uh, questions and comments, more than welcome. Uh, we have some questions coming through. If you would like to contribute to that debate, please do. Uh, plenty of time to, to get some questions through. Simon, I'm going to come back to you on, on an interesting issue because, of course, with 
digital um, engagement and online marketing, the consumer doesn't see any difference between what you might consider, we would consider national advertising versus local advertising. So what's different about running a business that's predominantly online when it comes to your advertising? I think you just I think you just said it. There are, there are no boundaries. So you're not you're not focusing in a in a tight geographical area. Even though you can actually do some of that through 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 um, certain activities. For us, it's more about like engaging the customer. I think Darren said a few a few key words in what he said there. The, the consistency of the approach, the engagement with the customer. What we want them doing is actually coming back digitally numbers and numbers of times. We also, to be fair, want like with many industries, you want the Avoid that everything you have to do, you have to speak to a human because we engage at different times of day and the evening and we do things where we want to do on, a, on your mobile, on your desktop, on your on laptop, wherever you are. So I think this this whole thing about marketing comes back to like really like opening your horizons of, of how you want customers to interact with you, making sure that interaction is, is consistent, straightforward, they get the data they want. But I think we saw something quite dramatically different that happened in in, um, in lockdown for us. I actually think it was happening before, we just hadn't focused on it well enough. And that was how customers respond and engage the database, how it responds to emails and content uh, drops. And pre, pre-lockdown, we were seeing like 1% of our traffic coming from, from email engagement. Today, we see anywhere between 15 and 20% of our traffic on average coming from that type of engagement. Almost like a point you can't, I suppose you can, but you, you, you couldn't over, over communicate with the customer if it's relevant content. So we've got a lot of effort that stimulates customers to flip through, to stimulate them to go back to a customer experience and a journey they enjoy, and then they keep revisiting and revisiting. And we put a lot of energy therefore in in new customers attracted to the platform, in then becoming engaged with us, so opening accounts, um, taking voucher codes, these type of things that mean we've got an engagement tool to back them. But um, yeah, if you look at kazoos and these, we will never compete with the budget sizes they've got. So you have to find different ways of engaging with the customer. And what we found is like engaged content and engaged directly with them in the digital form really, really works. Neil, you you obviously have um, uh, you're not representing Kazoo, but you you your business went to Kazoo, spending lots of money building a brand. So people watching today who are thinking, well, as, as Simon says, we you know we haven't got the budgets to to be doing national TV advertising. How, how do you compete against uh, against somebody who's 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 got long pockets? Um. <clears throat> You don't necessarily have to compete against them. I think, again, we've got to look at what sector or what percentage of the market Cinch and Kazoo are, are ultimately going to take in the next five years. Might be 4%, might be 5%. That still leaves 95% of the market available to traditional dealers now. Um, you can compete. I mean, Imperial, our marketing budget in Imperial, and we sold 20,000 vehicles a year, was probably about 1 15th of what Kazoo's is now. Uh, but we were highly targeted in the way we did our marketing. We were using uh, geographic marketing around using uh, Google AdWords around our sites. We did national campaigns on radio. We did national campaigns, uh, not on TV, but we did uh, sort of personalized Sky ad smart campaigns. So we had to be quite smart with how we marketed. Um, we used the aggregators, obviously the top aggregator 
Autotrader gave us visibility across the UK around our sites and with products they brought on board uh, prior, just prior to first lockdown, started to give us national coverage on certain percentage of our stock. So that allowed us to put our product out there nationally and it, it worked. We saw through that period, we saw two and a half times the lead volume against cars that were advertised nationally than we saw in terms of cars advertised geographically locally around our sites. So although that product cost a bit more, it returned heavier. It makes sense. You've got more visibility, more reach. So there are things dealers can do. But uh, again, if you're, if you're situated in the West Country and you want to attack your local market, there's a lot of marketing you can do locally to ensure you attract those consumers who are still not ready to buy cars fully online. And I think we probably need to sort of define the online model. You've got the online model is not necessarily that end-to-end, -end, which Kazoo and Cinch offer. It's it's a hybrid. It's allowing consumers to do what they want online. If they find a car that they like of yours and they're 150 miles away and you're prepared to deliver it, great. Does that mean they won't buy it if you don't deliver it? No. If you've got the right offering and the right proposition, they'll probably travel to come and see the vehicle. But don't get over-obsessed at the moment about competing head-to-head -head with the likes of Kazoo and Cinch. You know, those, those guys have got very deep pockets. They've got everything they need to build those brands. And it is all around that trust and loyalty and uh, building the loyalty with their customer base and interacting with the customer base and ensuring that they deliver on what they promise as well. Darren, your business is, is obviously in um, supporting enabling the marketing, but it sounds like um, a new skill set and a new set of skills, uh, emerging skills, are going to be needed more and more um, in retail. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's interesting. We've actually got a few dealer groups and actually part of their induction program now is to, to run through digital and make sure that the sales personnel are actually able to handle customer inquiries digitally. Um, I can see that growing, um, quite frankly. Um, it, it is important. I think, you know, digital was here before COVID. We had a massive impact during COVID and it will be here post COVID. So I think it's important that dealers do adopt. And I agree with Neil, you don't have to do it all at once. Um, but I think, you know, doing your stages to make sure you are, you are adapting to your customers. And, and Simon said it earlier, it's not what we want. It's what the customers actually want. And when you start a, a buying journey, whether you're buying a TV or, you know, a car or a pair of shoes, nobody knows at that stage how that customer is going to communicate with, with you. So it's about making sure that you've got the right people in place to be able to handle those inquiries when they come in. This is Auto Retail Live. Thanks for taking time to join us uh, this afternoon. If there's somebody who is unable to join right now, you can, of course, share the link with them and watch it again on Catch Up. Um, so it's an opportunity for others to hear the views and the thoughts of the panel. Um, very practical suggestions. We've heard so far Simon talking about actually a digital solution can be easier, use of the data, thinking about skill sets. Um, some questions coming through. Simon, I'm going to come to you, actually. Uh, we've had Matt Lobo from Burroughs Motor Company and David Malcolm at Rowcliffs. Hello. Um, asking about Simon's point on test drive demand, um, saying that that demand on people coming to a mainly digital dealer, do you think that's true across more traditional dealerships or is that just because the nature of your business is digital? I think the, the first thing is, when we open, we have a store in London. So that store in London generates like a massive amount of footfall, like 200,000 people in that store in a year. So we have a, a lot of people visiting 
and we make test drives super easy. Like you book it in the store online, you book it before you come in, you, you go up to the experience center, you drive it out there for an hour with nobody with you. So we make everything be easy. So we take on all the barriers. And yet still we've seen test drive diminish, 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 diminish over that. So I think we we're interacting with customers still in like that physical way. But what we're seeing is just the, the requirement to test drive is just dropping and dropping. And way back when I first came back into this business, we did a number of customer focus groups. And I'm talking back in 2014, and the focus groups like came out with not really wanting to test drive. And I didn't believe it because I'd come on sort of with a traditional thinking. We went back and we tested and tested that question. And it was showing up all the time that actually the requirement for a test drive with the actual customer was like diminishing. What's happening is the industry is reinforcing it. So the measurements all still show, oh, look, 90% of the test drive because they've been forced to do that one eventually in the physical environment to create a level of commitment. So, yeah, I just think listen to the customer really get under the skin of it, of the experience, see, see what's really happening with, with, with the customer in the Thanks. So the next question uh, to Neil. Gary McPherson. Gary, good afternoon from JLR. Um, he's asking the question, do retailers, uh, I'm taking he means probably franchise retailers, have an advantage once they get the omnichannel process live? Is it an advantage then having clicks and the bricks to go with it? I think right now, uh, and probably for the foreseeable short term, there is an advantage. Um, and, and again, that's not those customers who want that hybrid model are not going to be kazoo customers so as long as a dealer network or a franchise network or an independent chain can offer what is now accepted as three ways of buying really so you've got the full online process which is delivered to the door on click and collect you've got the option for a consumer to do most of their um, buying journey online right up to the point of maybe going and visit the dealership for that test drive if they want it or not. And then those that want to do a couple of little pieces online and visit a test drive, uh, visit a dealership because they want to get that physical experience, they want to experience the brand, then yes, I think at the moment those, they have got an advantage because they're able to attack 100% of the market. Kazoo and Cinch will be attacking 10% of the market, really, that are there ready to order fully online. That's still a massive amount of consumers. That's still a massive amount of buyers and it'll enable those disruptors to reach the numbers they're, they're um, projecting over the next three to five years supported by the marketing spend. But that, um, you know, I, I can't see personally that over the next 12 months, for example, that 10%, even if it increases to 20%, they're prepared to buy online because trust and uh, everything is built via those marketing campaigns by those two main disruptors. There's still a massive advantage for those traditional dealers if they can get on board that omni-channel journey they need to be able to offer those three types of buyers a way to buy a car can i be blunt neil are we spending too much time focusing on some noisy entrance to the market don't be offended no i'm not offended at all um look these 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 disruptors have come in and they have shaken up the market whether we like it or not you know when kazoo launched back in november 2019 um we, we at imperial for five years we talked about doing what Kazoo have done. Uh, I know Simon and Rockar, I, I saw him present four, four odd years ago, and that was the, the uh, mantra at that point. Kazoo have come in and they have taken that bull by the horns, run with it, generated massive investment, and they will make a success of it. I've, 
I've been there. I know how that business operates. Uh, part of that business is operating around the fact that it's customer obsessed, data driven. Um, they're fast drivers. They accelerate quickly. Yes, we went into a, a period of lockdown where it was a great opportunity for online disruptors to mature and, and come forward. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, even even with the five year projections of Kazoo and Cinch selling quarter of a million vehicles each in five years, there's still a massive amount of people out there who will buy vehicles a different way. So probably we are focusing too much, but what we shouldn't do is take our eye off the ball. And we should also be looking at how consumers are starting to migrate across to buying more and more digitally and just prepare ourselves as dealers to be on that roadmap. You're watching also Retail yeah, Live. I, I, Hashtag ARN Live um, is the social media link to it, uh, or you can type in your question and send it through to the studio. Simon, uh, question similar to, to where Neil was um, commenting there. This is from Stuart Leatherbar. Hello, Stuart from um, Auto Trader. Um, what are the downsides to online retailing? It's not all a rose garden, is it? Downsides to online retailing. Very hard for me to answer a question, but I think there's, very, there's no downside. But um, I think just coming back to probably Neil's point, well, no, let, 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 let's, let's answer the downside. A downside might be you have to adapt for different skill sets, different skill sets in terms of how we talked earlier about engaging with the customer through through digital content. The other one is like, if you believe the way I believe and the way Susan Sinch is going is that the customer ultimately wants the car delivered to their house on a truck, wrapped up like an Amazon box, is that's a different skill set. So there's, there's, there's cost associated with that. There's um, logistics that you need to start thinking about, those, those type of things. And then a level of returns. This industry is, is like avoided returns. I mean, for as long as I can remember, all of the used car programs had a returns policy in it, but never really was shouted about. So the um, customers really didn't know they had to return the product. So when they did, the industry made it quite difficult If you're adopting a pure digital online process, then you need to be very good at returns. Like, just think about when clothing started 25 years ago, the big issue was selling clothes with people returning it. Now they've overcome those things. So I think there's all the typical things that come through from, from those sort of things that you don't have to deal with when you're in a, in a physical environment. However, I just like to say I've got a much stronger view on kazoos and singed. They are they are doing they are normalizing this way of buying a car. They are spending a lot of money to, to, to get that point of use Neil or, or, or Darren said about the trusted customers. That they are they are going to steal significant share, but we shouldn't be focused on whether it's only 10%. What they're doing is they're normalizing our way of buying a car. And ultimately, when you take out their advertising budgets, their cost to transact can be significantly lower than the traditional model, significantly lower. And that's the danger for the industry. The industry just does not want to be a Woolworths or H&B moment where we didn't wake up to something that was happening, something that was transforming and changing a sector. And as you guys know, I've been passionate about doing this. I just didn't have the 400 million that Kazoo had. Had, had I had that, I'd have been doing exactly what they were doing now four or five years ago. So I think we as an industry need to work up to that. And um, the other good thing this industry is, is good at is it's built around a very entrepreneurial setup. So this is a way that we, we, we can adapt, we can change. We just haven't had to do that for such a long, long time. So I think 
my view is they're strong. Let's wake up to this. They are significantly changing it. They're normalizing it, which is great news, because customers now will see this as a comfortable way of doing business. But it's a way of doing business that we all need to wake up to and, 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 and adapt very, very quickly before we're left, left behind. But yeah, merge the answer to that question. That's, that's um, exactly what I feel about Thanks, Simon. Question from uh, Chris Richardson from Stratstone. Hello, Chris. Uh, Darren, I'm going to turn to you for this. It, he, Chris is talking about marketing priorities um, and, and thinking about where social media um, stands in that because social media is around. Is it more social? Is it more business? So where does social media stand and what are the best practice tips? Maybe we'll come back to Neil and Simon for those. But, but do you want to start with us, Darren, on social media in the marketing mix? I think it's coming. Uh, for sure. Uh, we've had, interestingly, over the last couple of months, quite a bit of interest from Facebook uh, and handling inquiries from Facebook, so particularly sort of Marketplace and Messenger. Um, that seems to be the one that's increasing. Um, there seems to be an awful lot of inquiries that come through there, but it, it's quite complex in terms of what you need to do in terms of, you know, you need to invest um, in, in social to, to get the returns from it. Um, so I think it, it's early days, but I think it certainly will be coming. And, and any best practice there in terms of thinking about for the industry and in, in what people should be should be thinking? Because, you know, I, I think, as Simon said, you know, there's been a wake up call with COVID. Um, we've got to yeah. move quickly. So what sort of things perhaps should 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 dealers be thinking about? You should be adapting exactly the same process you're doing with your digital inquiries, your chat inquiries or your walk in. So actually, that was we spoke about earlier about that consistency. You don't want any channel being let down by. Uh, by process, so making sure that if you are doing digital, you're actually handling those and that you've got the right people in place to handle those. I think one thing we've all noticed uh, in, in COVID over the last year plus is this immediacy. Um, customers have become impatient, so if they are inquiring, they want a, a quick and professional response to, to their inquiry. So having that those you know tools in place is pretty important. Simon, how do you do that? How do you how do you manage uh, people resource to? I know dealers have been doing it increasingly, but that that instant response and that instant response, maybe twenty four seven, not quite twenty four seven. Yeah, we we don't uh, respond twenty four seven. It's like that's a big financial commitment. Um, if you're if you're a larger organisation, I think you structure yourself to do that. But for, for business size and rock out, we don't do that. A dedicated team that. that that produce content, respond to social media, respond to customer reviews. Um, we spend more money on that team than we do actually spend money externally in, um, in advertising. So that that's all comes back to what I talk about, that engaged content. You can't just keep supplying customer the same piece of you know, price-led marketing or whatever. It, it needs to be engaging, needs to be responsive. I think social is like a really... It's a really tough one, social media, because it does need a lot of engagement. It has to be relevant as a concern about content. It takes a lot of effort. Um, we're seeing positive signs from it, but we're not seeing anywhere near the response that we're seeing from, from, um, from email engaged, what we call engaged database. But it's definitely here. It's just the effort that needs to go to do that. So I think this goes back to structure piece about businesses changing and relooking at where they spend their money in, 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 uh, in terms of response. 
Let's turn attention slightly away from marketing into um, value-added products. This is a question. Neil, I'm going to come to you for this. Matthew Briggs from Autoprotect, who says, as metal margins are squeezed, how important are these value-added products to the retailer? And how can an e-commerce retailer ensure that whilst they are digitally enabled, they are compliant whilst they're selling those options? Yeah, I think VAPS, <coughs> VAPS is an interesting point. VAPS for Imperial Cars uh, would have contributed probably, again, around about 35% to the total revenue generated from the sale of the vehicle. That be that warranty or pain protection, uh, we didn't sell insured products at the time um, in terms of um, RTC or GAP. But uh, bringing that into the e-commerce journey, and if we're talking again about full end-to-end, -end, that represents quite a challenge, I believe, uh, you know, when you've got the consumer in the showroom and you're able to sell the value of the product and show the consumer the product and get the consumer to understand the value of that product, then you can probably demand a little bit more for that product. Online, you're in a competitive market space, so you have to cut your cloth accordingly, really, and also find a way to sell that product effectively online. Um, I'm not sure of the answer on that one. It might be something Simon's had more experience of in terms of the rock art piece, in terms of selling extended warranty or, or additional VAPs as part of that online journey. But typically, again, even coming out of first lockdown, the majority of our VAP sales would be done in store, uh, even though we had that option online. Simon, do you want to pick up on that? I think that this, this question you could go really deep on because for me, the, the, why the industry needs so much money from add-on products is because of the current structure it's in and i go back to like the likes of kazoo and Sinch, which have a lower operating structure so they don't need to be forced or need a sale of add-on products to do that when i first launched rock i was not interested at all in doing add-on products and only because listening to customers they, they quite often feel like they get um, a small amount of effort to sell them the car they're actually going to drive and then a huge amount of effort to sell them everything else they don't want i like avoided to be honest the, the, the beginning However, what we now see is there's some products that are relevant to the customer. So we, we for example, definitely uh, fulfilled selling of service plans uh, and extended warranties online. And we're about to move into certain other sort of like pain protection insurance for, 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 for wheels and tires and those type of things where customers are actually saying they want it. But I think it's this balance between why we're all so much we need it is because we're fulfilling this very heavy cost structure to we've already set up traditional so I have, I have like a different view on this whole add-on products um, situation and, and, and probably that that's why it leads me more to talk about digital in terms of like the efficiency that model generates in terms of its cost cost of transaction well you know that links in simon to something similar from um ellis um Stoymanoff from jlr um, sorry, no, it's not not from Ellis. Um, it's from somebody else. Forgive me. It's it's the increase in valuations for part X pricing. So in, in, increasing in valuation options. So what, as you say there, the the need for VAPs um, is driven by a sort of a structural her heritage legacy. Um, is is that the same for part X pricing? Is that going to change? Um, be driven by change through online retailing? There's a in terms of the data you see now, like the majority of the market is covered by the, by the top data structures that are there, but there are like examples of products, high-end luxury products, where options make a big difference to the valuation of the car. 
Bulls up from headline 911 Porsche, etc. Porsche have done key, key, key options that really drive the use values. And at the minute, nobody really caters for that successfully online. It's almost like has to be done offline. Rocker will work in the background of something to help to bring market at the end of this year that will facilitate a level of that, that um, drag through of those options because it does it does have an impact certainly on, on sort of like the, the premium luxury end of the, end of the market. But it's for the, for the national complete market is probably a small percentage. We have run our course. Time has beaten us um, on this uh, sunny Tuesday afternoon. This has been the Auto Retail Live uh, webinar, looking at a change um, in the landscape, uh, the digital landscape of automotive retail. Um, we have just a moment to go around the table and take our final tips um, for our, our panel this afternoon. So I'm going to come first of all to Darren, Darren Preddy, who's Sales Director for uh, Rapid RTC. Final thoughts of practical tips to take away, Darren. Um, quickly for me, I think it's, there's been a lot of change over the last 12, 14 months. It, it's for dealers, it's really important to have a blended approach. As Neil spoke about earlier, have the channels available to customers to buy however they want to buy. So do that and, and you'll be successful. Neil, Neil Smith, um, former, uh, formerly Kazoo and Imperial Cars, now footloose and fancy free. Tell us what your tip is. Um, <clears throat> be truly customer obsessed. A lot of people talk about it. Uh, understand that Simon's spoken uh, about it, you know, understand what your consumer's looking for, what your customer's looking for, engage with that customer and ensure you meet or surpass their expectations. Customer focus. Simon, what are your closing thoughts? Yeah, I would echo that. Really, really focus on the customer experience. And not one that we think they want, focus on the one that they really, really want. And I think the second part is just don't let Kazoo and Singe be a, a Wilbur's or HMB moment. There's an opportunity now to change your business and change your business to what that customer experience needs to be. And engaging digitally is is definitely the future stuff. Yeah, that's my advice. Great. Lots of practical tips, great conversation. Thank you very much to our panel. Uh, and thanks to you for taking time with us to uh, join us for the Auto Retail Live webinar. Uh, our next call will be on the 6th of July when we will be discussing the topic of marketing. But on behalf of the uh, editorial team at Auto Retail Network, thanks for joining us and we'll see you soon.